Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Covering all the bases today. It's uh, good to have you with us here in person online. It's good to have you with us. Um, It is the 10th day of Christmas. And on the 10th day of Christmas, what did we get? I don't remember. We're going to get a sermon is what we're going to get. Is it Lord's a-leaping? Is that what it is? That was just a shot in the dark. All right. Well, on the 10th day of Christmas, we've come to our sixth and final Song in the Songs of Messiah. These are what we've been looking at during Advent and Christmas. Um, And the song today is the poetic prologue to John's gospel that we just heard read. John 1, 1 through 18. Uh, You say, is it a song? Well, I don't know if it was sung, but it, it certainly is a poetic prelude. It is maybe the first and best example of what we know now as uh, theopoetics. That is, theology expressed not so much in prose, but in poetry. And this also just happens to be my favorite passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. Come on now, it's a big book. you got lots of choices. But if I had to say, I'd say... I, I want to live there in John 1, 1 through 18, those theopoetics of the gospel writer John. I'm going to call this sermon today, The Light Shines in the Darkness. And I guess let's just jump into it. Let's get started. See how much time i got left. Oh, we got plenty of time. All right. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So John introduces his gospel with the words, in the beginning. He knows that this is not the first time an important theological work has begun with those words. John is deliberately borrowing the opening line of Genesis because John is convinced that now we have a completely new way of understanding God. A completely new way of what we might say of doing theology. And so he dares to open his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. Of course, our Bibles are translated. He's not writing in English. He's writing in a form of Greek. It's logos. In the beginning was the logos. It's such a rich word that translators struggle with it. I know David Bentley Hart, when he finally came out with his translation of the New Testament, he just gave up and he doesn't translate it. He just says, in the beginning was the logos. It's a very, very significant, rich word. We could think of it in a lot of ways. There's not one way to think about it, but we could think of it as the divine logic. 
Keeping the word logos logic, keeping that together. It's the divine logic, the divine understanding. It is God's own understanding of God's own self. Um, and this, in the beginning, was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Logos was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by the logos, and apart from the logos, nothing was made that was made. So this logos is the agent of creation within the Trinity. So we could also say that the Logos is the Son of God. This is the agent of creation in the Trinity. Um, Another way of thinking about Logos is that it is the wisdom, the divine wisdom, the perfect divine wisdom of God. Now here we are just at the very beginning of a new year. Part of my practice every January is that's when I read the book of Proverbs. I just read one proverb, one chapter of Proverbs a day for the 31 days of January. So I've started that. And so today is January 3rd. I read the third chapter of Proverbs today. And there I found this very significant verse, Proverbs 3, 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. The church fathers then came along and said, oh, that wisdom, that's the logos. That's the Son of God. God's wisdom is the Logos, the Word of God, the wisdom of God, and this is the agent of creation. Verse 4, in Him, we're still talking about the Logos, in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. All right. The Logos, that is the Word of God, The Logos is the living Word of God, not the Word as text, that is the Bible. In other words, it's not in the beginning was the Bible and the Bible was with God and the Bible was God. No, this is the Logos. This is the Son of God. This is the divine living Word of God. It's like what we read in Hebrews 4.12. It says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's not talking about the Bible. The Bible is the word of God that witnesses to the word of God. It's the little W, word of God, that witnesses to the capital letter, word of God. We know that because then it goes on the very next verse, Hebrews 12, 13, and it talks about we are all laid bare before him with whom we have to do, to whom we must give an account. In other words, we go not to the judgment seat of the Bible and then give an account to the Bible. We go to the judgment seat of Christ and give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. Now we're told that this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Now, this is the pre-incarnate Word. We, have, we, haven't, got, we haven't got to... Incarnation. We haven't got to Christmas yet in this poetic prologue. We're still, we're still anticipating that, but we haven't got there yet. And so this light that shines in the darkness isn't the incarnation. This is the pre-incarnation. That is that God's wisdom and God's truth was always some way shining in the world. For example, it shines in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. You can, you can begin to discern some things about God. By looking at nature, you won't know everything about God, but you'll know something about God. All right. And so the wisdom of God was shining in the darkness. That is the darkness of wrong ideas about God, 
uh, idolatrous ideas about God. Uh, the light is shining in the darkness, somewhat through nature, somewhat especially through, principally through, the revelation given to the Jewish people. They're the chosen people, and they begin to bring forth understanding about the nature of God. God is one, for one thing. There's, God is not a multitude of gods and goddesses. God is one. And uh, they're given the, the prophets and the scriptures, and so they have the light is shining that way. But even also in the Gentiles. The early church was very insistent that some of the uh, Greek philosophers, especially Plato, uh, they described, the, the church fathers described him as a pre-Christian saint. They were nuts about him. And, but they said this man had insight that was given to him by the Spirit. In other words, he was, he was recognizing some of that light that shines in the darkness that began to move us in a right direction. Now, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. All right, this is talking about John the Baptist, who we will meet next Sunday. Next Sunday is the baptism of our Lord's Sunday, and we will see Jesus being baptized and all four Gospels, once they get to the moment of Jesus beginning his ministry, we hear the story of John the Baptist. And this is the forerunner. This is the one that prepares the way. This is the one that baptizes Jesus. And it's interesting that what we, how we understand John the Baptist and his relationship to Jesus is a very good parallel analogy of understanding how the Bible relates to Jesus. Jesus is not the Bible. The Bible is not Jesus. What is the Bible? It is the witness to the light. It's the one that points us to the light. So what is said about John in this passage, we could very much say about the Bible. We could say it like this. There was a book sent from God whose name was Bible. It came as a witness to bear witness to the light so that all might believe through it. It itself was not the light, but it came to bear witness to the light. And this is, why, this is why later John says, verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, if you know the story really well, you know that John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus of Nazareth. All right, so who's born first? John the Baptist. Six months later, Jesus of Nazareth is born. But here, John is saying, he ranks ahead of me because he was before me. Well, Jesus of Nazareth was born six months after John the Baptist, but the Logos of God is eternal. The Logos of God is the Ancient of Days. It is eternal. And so this is why the Bible could say the very same thing. The Bible could say, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, when Jesus is born, we already have the entire canon of the Old Testament. But who, who, who comes first? Well, the, the, the incarnate logos, the, the, the word of God existed before the Bible. Before any, before any Jewish prophet puts P 
pen to quill. There was the eternal Word of God that always existed in the fellowship of the Trinity. I know this is theological, but it's good stuff. Verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Now, now we're getting excited here. Because we still haven't got to the incarnation, but, but he's John... The gospel writer is talking about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is doing his thing. Why? Because the true light, which enlightens everyone, it's fixing to come into the world. And so something big is about to happen. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is what Christmas is all about. This is why we have to have a 12-day feast. This is why we don't just, you know, tear open the presents on Christmas Day and then tear down the tree and say, we're done. I mean, even to come close to a, a celebrating this, this phenomenon appropriately, it's going to take at least 12 days. A 12-day celebration. That's what Christmas is all about. That the eternal, what do we say? The eternal logos. The divine word of God. The divine wisdom of God. The divine son of God became a baby. I mean, the wisdom of God was, was shining in the darkness. The world's lost in idolatry. The world is all messed up. The world has all kinds of wrong thinking about God. But still the light shines through the witness of creation, through the inspired revelation of the Jewish people, even through some of the, the better thinking of some of those Greek philosophers, Plato and others. They're beginning to under... Because the, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness didn't overcome it. It didn't fully comprehend it, but it didn't overcome it. But then this light, this logos, this divine wisdom entered right in, came among us, was born as a baby. The knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, the understanding of God, the word of God, the logos of God became a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I mentioned David Bentley Hart earlier. I really do like his New Testament translation. He calls it a piteously literal translation. And he translates this first part of John 1.14 like this, And the Logos became flesh and pitched a tent among us. He says that's not a poetic translation. That is a, a literal translation. Because that, that dwell has, it's, it's, it means to... To have a tabernacle or to tent, to have a tent, to, to pitch a tent. And so the, the, the light of God, the knowledge of God, the word of God, the wisdom of God is shining throughout human history. Some comprehend it. Some begin, begin to find some clues. It's shining in the darkness, but we don't really understand it all, but it's there. But now that light, that word, that logos is pitching a tent among us. 
joins us, becomes one of us, is born as a baby, wrapped in swelling clothes, lying in a manger. So the Word of God becomes a human life, the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And John says, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld His glory. That's a word that, it's a very Bible-y word. It's, it's a word that we use a lot when we're talking Bible stuff, God's stuff, but we don't use it a lot outside of that. And I think it, helps, it, it, it hinders us from understanding what that word might mean. I think one of the ways, I'm not saying entirely, but one of the ways to think about that word is to just think beauty. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and we beheld his beauty. Beauty as of the only begotten of the Father. Oh, he's so full of grace and truth, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I believe beauty will save the world, and that beauty is the word made flesh that is Jesus Christ. Everything about his life is beautiful. His Sermon on the Mount, how he heals the sick, how he feeds the multitudes. Everything about his life is beautiful. It's his glory. His glory is his beauty. And it reaches its pinnacle when upon the cross he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's beautiful. And he takes the ugliness of the cross and turns it into the beauty of salvation. A human being that we know as Jesus Christ carries the grace of God into our fallen world. And of his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. The moment, you're saying, the moment the Logos became flesh, the moment that happened, the Annunciation to, to Mary, that she would conceive in her womb, though she's a virgin, she would conceive in her womb, and that which would be born of her would be called the Son of God. The moment that happens, the salvation of the world is a foregone conclusion. Because the Logos has come. The Word of God, the divine, the God Himself has attached Himself to it. He's not, he's not apart from creation. Now He's entered into it. He's taken upon Himself our humanity in order to heal it. And not only us, but all of creation. It's all going to be saved because that's what happens when the Logos enters into the story. From the infinite fullness of God, we have received endless grace. And of His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His beauty. Beauty is of the only begotten of the Father, full. He's not empty. He's not half full. Full of grace and truth. And of His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. We sang that song today. Waves of grace. Endless waves of grace, just wave after wave after wave after wave. It's like standing on the, on the seashore and there's just, the waves never stop. That's, that's the grace of God coming into the world through the Word made flesh who is Jesus Christ. Oh, look how much time I got. So, I brought my hourglass up here. Ooh, I haven't even gone a half hour. All right. And, uh, it's, it's relax. Uh, I like this because it gives me a picture. 
but it's a limited picture. This is heaven, and this is earth. Hourglass, right? Two spheres. Heaven and earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, down here on earth, we sometimes feel like we're living in a closed system. Zero-based. There's not enough, and that's why we fight and have wars. But that's an illusion, because there is the heavens. Now, the, the illustration or the analogy here falls apart, because you have to imagine this sphere. Okay, this sphere can be this size. This has to be infinite. It's not an hourglass. It's an infinite glass. It never would run out. It's the heavens of the heavens. The earth you've given to the sons of men, but the, but the heavens are the heavens of the Lord. And they are as vast as God himself. But these two spheres have now been connected at a single point. And that point is Jesus. This is, this is the, the word, the logos of God was made flesh right there. That's Merry Christmas right there. Right there. And now look, it just keeps, it just, you probably can't see it. I'm getting blessed just standing here watching, the, watching, the, watching the, the grace fall in. Of his fullness, we're receiving just grace upon grace. Upon. Now, of course, in an, approximately an hour, this runs out. But not, but not the grace that God brings into the world through Jesus Christ. It's infinite. It never stops. The law was indeed given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, the Torah, was given by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Bible is a witness. The Bible is an inspired witness. The Bible is a reliable witness. The Bible will, I mean, you read the book of Proverbs. It talks a lot about this. The textual word of God will give you Lots of sound counsel about how to live your life. But it's not perfect. Because part of the advice, part of the instruction that the Bible will give you is, is how to treat your slaves. <laughs> yeah, that's in there. How to, how to treat your slaves. How to treat your slaves. Do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. And you think, well, how come the Bible doesn't just go, wait a minute, slaves? Why have we even got those? Well, the law was given by Moses. I mean, we're moving in the right direction. Grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter that, that the Bible never rose to the level of a vision of the abolition of slavery. It doesn't matter. Grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. And in the light of Christ, we go, whoo, I don't need advice on how to Treat my slaves, we need to abolish slavery. <laughs> but that comes from the light of Christ. It doesn't matter if, if it's not, you know, the law is given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. All right, you ready for the finale? Because this is so good. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten God who is near the Father's heart. He has made him known. Now, as far as I am concerned, this is absolutely one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. 
31,126 verses in the Bible. This is like a top 10, top five. This is so important, this verse. It starts off and it says, no one has ever seen God. Now, this verse is so important. I can't get off this. This verse is so important that, that if, if we agree with the conclusion, this is the end of his poetic prologue. Then he's going to start talking about John the Baptist and you know, get into the story. But at the end of his poetic prologue, John says, no one has ever seen God. The only begotten God who is near the Father's heart, he has made him known. Now, if, if that's true, if we, if we agree with that, if we accept the conclusion of John's theopoetic prologue, it has enormous implications. It, in fact, if you read the Bible in the light of John 1.18, you have a whole new Bible. If, if you read, if you've just been reading it one way, and then, then you take the light of John 1.18 and start reading, you've got a brand new Bible. This happened to me about uh, 16, 17 years ago. You get a brand new Bible. He starts off, he says, no one has seen God. John writes that. Now, you've heard me do this before. This is my little riff, but I, I'm going to do it again. But then I'll make the point even more clear. Now, you read that. John says, no one has ever seen God. And you go, well, wait a minute, John. I got a Bible. And my Bible says that Abraham saw God. Had a meal with him under the oaks of Mamre. They ate steak. Veal, to be more specific. Jacob saw God. Bethel. Ladder. Angels. God. He saw God. Moses saw God. He saw God so much that his face started shining. And then he, Moses took the 70 elders of Israel up onto Mount Sinai. And the Bible says they saw God and ate and drank. We're telling this to John. We say, John, what about Isaiah? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train of the robe fills the temple. When was it? It was the year that King Uzziah died. What about Ezekiel? He says, I saw visions of God by the river Kibar. And John says, don't give me any lip. <laughs> I'm writing the New Testament here. <laughs> I know, I know all those. You don't have to tell me those things. I know those are all there. I'm very aware of what is there. But no matter what, Dreams, visions, revelations, Christophanies, theophanies, people have had in times past compared to the revelation we have of God in Christ. No one's ever seen God. Now, John isn't really primarily talking about what we call theophanies, manifestations of the divine. He's really saying that until we see Jesus Christ, we don't know what God is like. See, we've, we've carried this as some, oh yeah, we know what God's like. And John says, no, you don't. Not until you see Jesus. You think you do, but you're wrong. That's why he says no one has ever comprehended God, seen God, comprehended God. The only begotten God who is near the Father's heart, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. When that word becomes flesh, what does it say? He has made him known. 
Or we could say it this way. He has revealed him. He has explained him. He has defined him. We don't know what God is like until we look at Jesus. That's what John is saying. The point of confessing that Jesus is God, that's a central tenet of orthodoxy, right? That Jesus is very God of very God. Begotten, not made. The point of confessing that Jesus is God is not to say, yes, we know what God is like, and Jesus is that. That's not the point. We say, well, we know what God is like. We, are, we know what God is like. God's all the omnis rolled up into one. He's omniscient and omnipresent and omnibenevolent and omni-whatever you want to have. And Jesus is that. John would say, that's not the point I'm making here. Because I've already told you no one's seen God. You think you know what God is like? You don't. It's not until you see Jesus that you even begin to understand what God is like. John says, no, you don't know what God is like. Jesus is the one who perfectly explains, reveals, shows, defines what God is like. God is like Jesus. People want to correct me and they say, well, no, Jesus is God. I know that. I know that Jesus is God. But the whole point of knowing that Jesus is God is so that we can understand that God is like Jesus. God can be an abstract concept. And you can come up with a hundred, not a hundred, you can come up with a million different ideas of what God is like. Jesus is the one that reveals what God is actually like. Not in our projections, not in our fears, not in our self-interest, not in our self-loathing, but what God is actually like. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus because God's immutable. He doesn't change. There's never been a time when God wasn't like this. We haven't always known this. There's a long history before Jesus. We haven't always known this, but Merry Christmas, now we do. So if any picture of God, no matter where it's derived from, doesn't look like Jesus, we let it go. We read the whole Bible in the light of Christ. So, you can ask me a question. You say, Pastor Brian, do you believe that God commands people to kill babies and commit genocide? I go, no, of course I don't believe that. And you take me into some verses and, you just, and I say, no one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son, the only begotten God who is near the Father's heart, He has made Him. No, yeah, the law was given by Moses. Grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. And so all of the Bible, which I hold and believe and confess, must be interpreted in the light of Christ. And once you start interpreting the light of Christ, then things begin to change a lot. And so all, even the Bible has to bow to Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the Bible has to bow and say, Jesus is Lord. And I got that from the Bible. We could say it this way. The divine light shines in the theological darkness of mistaken ideas about God. And that light is Jesus Christ. But theology itself is never the end. I mean, the point isn't that we can just sit around and kind of be smug and go, oh, we know what God is like. He's like Jesus. That's, that's, that's where we start. That's the starting point. We... 
Theology matters because it determines to a large extent how we live our lives. And so the point isn't just to know stuff. Theology is not an end in itself. It's to in, the true value of theology is to inform us as to how we should live our lives. So Jesus says this, one more verse, this one from John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to go on record, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is the light of the world. And that whoever follows Jesus, not just learns, but follows Jesus, begins to live a life informed by trying in some measure to imitate Jesus. That person will move out of the darkness into the light, the light of truth. The life that Jesus lived is the light of the world. Not just his words, but his whole life. The light for how to live life comes from Jesus. This sounds so basic. Do you want to live your life right? Live it in the light of Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus. That's the light. That's the truth. Imitate that. Go, that's that's the true way. Be Be that way. Jesus is the light of the world. And when we honestly, truly, sincerely follow Jesus, not perfectly, but we're trying, when we say that's what matters, when we truly follow Jesus, that's when we begin to live in the light of truth. It's so easy to be deceived because the world will tell you love possessions, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of possessions. Build your life around power, pleasure, possessions. That's darkness. It's persuasive, but it's darkness. Jesus doesn't, Jesus, his whole life is no, life is not about power and privilege and possessions and pleasure. Life is about love. But you can't, you can't even just hear it like that. It can't just be some sort of abstract command. We must see it embodied in Jesus. And then we say, that's the way to live, like that. And we follow that and we begin to live our lives in the light of truth. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is still the light of the world. Because the light of life is risen indeed. You know the whole story. The Logos was crucified and went down into death, but defeated death and was raised on the third day. And the light of life still shines in the world because Jesus Christ is risen. So we don't have a book that gives us all the answers. What we have is Jesus, the light of the world. So, for example, what... Now, just hold on to your hats here for a second. Anybody got any hats, you better hold on now. What are we, as followers of Jesus, to think and believe about, say, abortion, guns, nuclear weapons? Abortion, guns, nuclear weapons. Now, why did I pick those three? Well, they're controversial, for one thing. And they're also not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say one word about abortion, guns, or nuclear weapons. So what are we supposed to do? We can't, you know, 
chapter and verse that we can try that, but we're going to come up short. So what do we do? Well, the church, not just the lone individual, but the church has to wrestle with these kinds of issues, not with proof texts, but in the light of Christ. So what do we say about that? We'll save that for another day. Even though I got time, we're going to save that for some other day. I'll just end the sermon with the good news that God is like Jesus. I mean, isn't that the best news? I mean, you know, because you're wondering, does God really love me? Is God, you know, or is God, you know, what is God's true? God is like Jesus. You know Jesus loves you. The Bible tells you so. Jesus loves you, this you know, for the Bible tells you so. That's, that's, the, that's what the Bible does perfectly. The Bible perfectly does this. Jesus. The Bible gets our attention so that the Bible says, hey, hey, pay attention. I want you to believe in Jesus. Because God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God... When God wasn't like Jesus, we haven't always known this, but now we do. Merry Christmas. Stand up with me. Whoo! I tell you, I know one thing I am. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I mean, I believe he's the light of the world. I believe he's very God of very God. I believe that no one has ever seen God until they see God in the light of Christ. I'm a Christian. All right, so I want to confess my Christian faith, and I invite you to join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins and receive forgiveness from the Lord. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. God is gracious. To all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord, is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. The body of Christ broken for you.
the blood of Christ shed for you.